Hello, and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. And Gabe? We do not have emails this time. We usually... None. Start with some emails. No, we got emails. And in fact, one we of them... We have too much science to talk yeah. about, so okay. we're not going to okay. read any emails. Okay. First things first, let's go into the uh, kind of the, uh, the juiciest topic or the one that's most befitting of late night or very early morning radio, mm-hmm. and that is erections. The male penis getting hard. Sure. The headline or the takeaway from this is that getting more of them, having more erections, is good for erectile health. So what is bad erectile health? It's erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. When you want to be aroused and just can't for a variety of reasons. could be physiological, uh, often associated with poor cardiovascular health. Yeah. It could be psychological. It could be a lot of things. So if you um, – basically, I think most men out there would agree – that if they get aroused, they would like to have an erection. That's the, the point of a sexual interaction. Yeah. And um, what this study shows is use it or lose it, or it's kind of what it implies. So um, before we get into what they observed directly, and they were looking at mice. Always have to put that caveat in there, although the, the male penis in mammals is pretty similar. Um, usually, if you're flaccid, you kind of have a muscle or various muscles constricting the flow of blood, blood into the penis. Yeah. It's stop again. Then you get aroused. And this is probably going to be a visual cue or something or all sorts of cues. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of chemicals are released inside your body. These are nitric oxide and acetylcholine. Mm-hmm. And that relaxes those muscles. Now the blood's going to flow in. Same thing kind of happens in a different way. It's a different mechanism, but with all these drugs, erectile drugs, mm-hmm. uh, PDE5 inhibitors, that lets the blood flow in. That's usually... And erectile dysfunction is when this muscle stays contracted? That could be one cause of it, yeah. Okay. In, fa- in fact, that's where most research has looked. If we're going to fix this thing, let's let the blood flow in there just fine. And the and more erections you have, the the higher frequency of erections, the less likely it is that that contraction is going to stay there or the- this is different. What they did is they looked kind of like further down the line at the at the penis itself, at the, 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 the shaft, I guess is the best way of putting it. And one of our colleagues, Fred Schwaller, there's an article on DW.com that I encourage any of you interested to read. Regular erections can improve men's sexual health. There he compares the penis to like a, a, a banana-shaped sponge. Mm-hmm. And then if, it, if you put water on it, it grows. So now imagine the sponge. What is that sponge, that that connective tissue that would allow the blood to go in there in the first place? That's kind of like fibroblasts, and that's what they were looking at, fibroblasts, this connective tissue. And they found, at least in mice, that the more of that stuff that you have, the more fibroblasts, the more erections you have, and the other way around. Vice versa is also true. There is a strong connection there, and the conclusion that everyone is jumping to is, well, okay, so if, if more erections causes more fibroblasts, this good connective tissue, then should I, should I practice? Get more? Yeah. Is that, is that what I should do? And um, one of the people behind the study said basically that happens to men anyway during the night of your night sleep, roughly three hours of, of that, you have an erection. Uh, morning wood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what your body is practicing overnight. But he goes as far as to say, this is not something we've shown in our study. So it is a bit speculative, but a reasonable interpretation is that it gets easier if you have regular erections. I'll let our listeners take that for, for whatever it's worth. Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't know if they're saying go out and practice erections. I, I don't know, but that would be one conclusion of the study. All right. Should I jump into mine? Yeah. I got two different studies, all both on the same topic. One is recent. One goes back to 2015. We'll start here. 
at the University of Pittsburgh. They were looking into odors, smells, <laughs> and the connection of odors to memory. Mm -hmm. Oh, strong connection, yeah. Yes. You, you were at lunch, I believe, referring to something in your past, an odor that you remember was the breath of a, of a girl you oh, used to like? Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, she, I believe, you know, I was in grade school, elementary school, and she came to school. I had the biggest crush on her, mm -hmm. like months on end. Biggest crush on her. I used to sit in this huge tractor tire with her uh, during, during recess, and she came to school one morning, and I was sitting next to her. The teacher was going to read us something, and she, I think, hadn't brushed her teeth. We were all kids once it happens, and then had chewed cinnamon chewing gum to cover it. And that combination of smells instantly turned me, into, turned, turned me off. I, I didn't have a crush on her anymore. That ended the crush. If I had a vial, if I had an opaque vial with that smell in it and opened the lid in, under your nostrils, mm -hmm. do you think you would be able to remember that exact episode? I feel like I can almost smell it from my memory. <laughs> I, know that, I, know, I know that's so yes, yeah. Okay, so what they were doing in this study, um, it's, it's, it's a really serious one. So they were looking at people who are severely depressed. One of the main problems with that is an inability to connect with the past. Memories. Oh, okay. Yeah. And positive memories are, are very good for our mental health. And people who are depressed, it's hard for them to, con to recall memories. And what they were doing in this experiment was trying to see if odors could change that in any way. And they had four different smells in these opaque vials and had 32 people with, with major depressive disorder smell these vials and they recorded what they said, the memories that they had based on these odors. So I'm just going to guess here, but you would have to choose odors that would make sense as a time and a place for all, like, like cologne. Oranges, coffee, co coffee oh. grounds, yeah, okay. uh, Vaseline. A medicine that 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 um, clears the the nasal passageways, yeah. those kinds of things that have probably everyone has a connection to them because they're very okay. It's common different. It's different than what I thought. I thought you would have had to have chosen like a perfume or a cologne that came out during a, a, a decade and was very popular then. They weren't trying to evoke specific memories. They just wanted to see what happened, what kind of memories came out when these people, okay. when these depressed people smelled these odors. Then they used word cues to evoke memories with these people. So they wanted to compare what happened between odors and words. Coffee smell and the word coffee. The word coffee yes. compared to yeah. the smell of coffee grounds. Huge difference. 70% of the, of the memories that happened as a result of the odors were specific. People remembered a specific thing <laughs> yeah. because of the odor of coffee compared to the word coffee. It means that autobiographical memories are opened up via these odors. Well, I was just going to say coffee. I was about to, to kind of, I don't know, try to contradict it and say, well, I, I drink coffee every morning, every day, right? What pot, how many memories could pop? Although when I think about it now, there's, there is one. Every Sunday after church, went mm. grocery to the grocery store, my mom was filling up the cart, my dad was filling up the cart, and I'd go to the coffee aisle in the, in the grocery store, and this is totally unhygienic. I just didn't know it at the time. And I would stick my nose under those coffee bean dispensers. Yeah. <sighs> I loved those. Yeah. That's, that's a really, and yeah, a really specific. When I smell coffee, I can, I can hear the, the, the coffee advertisement, Folgers. The best part of waking up. up. I can, I'm, I'm back. I'm a child again. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, so the, the second study is 
so we've, we've established, or this study at, from Pittsburgh established that odors open up a, a passageway to the, the past, right? The second study I found from, from MIT in 2015 was looking at what remem positive memories do for people who are suffering from depression. Right. So they wanted to, again, they were using mice and these poor mice. And this links to, to the kind of to the study you were talking about. What they first did was allowed these male mice, a group of male mice, to have a very, uh, you know, pleasurable experience. They were allowed to spend some time with female mice. And while that experience was happening, their cells in their hippocampus were shot with blue light. So it part was, of their brain bathed in, in blue light. Yeah. So that later you could reactivate the feelings that these mice were that had when they were having this pleasurable experience with these female mice. They could reactivate the memory. Or at the very least a feeling as yeah. well. Yeah. Then they depressed the living hell out of the mice. They exposed them to chronic stress over weeks at a time until they were rendered essentially lifeless. They, they couldn't, faced with a challenge, they just gave up right away. They didn't do any of the things that they used to do when they were happy. They were depressed. The mice were depressed. And what they wanted to see was what happens with these mice when you expose them to a situation with the female mice? Do they... Remember? Have, like naturally have, remember? They, a natural me memory? Do they have fun with them again? No, probably not, huh? They didn't. Then they exposed them to this memory. They, they shot them with this blue light, activated their, the, or they reactivated the memory, and then they became their old selves, hmm. right? So the, one of the ways to cure this major depression that these mice uh, had developed over being you know, drilled by these researchers was just to remember something positive. Whew. Kind of spooky implications for... Yeah. Um, I don't know, brain interface devices. Right. And the, the cells or the, the brain cells that were, were activated with this blue light were in the, the same region as the cells in the first experiment, this, the odor experiment in the limbic system, in the amygdala and the hippocampus, in the ancient reptilian parts of the brain where odors are, yeah, where they're stored. So in theory, if, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not put into practicable here, right? It's not like you would go to somebody who's suffering severe depression and be like, oh, I've heard about a couple of studies. I can help yeah. you by putting a smell that would make you remember a happy moment from childhood under your nose. Wouldn't work, but that's kind of the long-term implication it of... Would, it would be a way possibly to open up, yeah, a portal to that, those, those good memories. Because if, if the reason for that depression is that the, the connection has been destroyed or that the connection is damaged, then this could be a way to open that back up. So real quick here, just at the end, uh, two studies, two final studies, both kind of connected to animals in some way. Um, the first one, the Baltic Sea up here, northeastern Germany, Mecklenburg Bay is mm -hmm. what it's called. Rostock, yeah, sure. Uh, they have found a what may be the largest or certainly one of the largest Stone Age mega structures. It's a one kilometer long stone wall. It took about 1,700 stones to build this thing. Um, and it is 60 feet underwater. On the bed of the sea. On the bed of the sea. So the first thing you're probably wondering is, what? Well, huh? How did that get there? That's bizarre. Well, it's because 10,000 years ago when it was being built, there was no sea there. Hmm. Uh, there was like a lake or a bog, um, and they were building it right adjacent to that lake or bog. The glaciers kept melting. The sea levels rose at a rate of two and a half centimeters a year, which is really fast. That's, that's six times faster than what's happening now today. Hmm. Um, and now it's all underwater. And so these researchers were out there in a boat. They're scanning everything down on the seafloor. They saw this thing, and 
um, why, again, why would you build a gigantic one kilometer long wall? It's not a defensive fort. It doesn't serve any defensive purposes. The reason was to help, to help them hunt reindeer. Oh, yeah, sure. And what they would do is you see a herd of reindeer and you would get those, those human beings together, the homo sapiens around, and force them to run up toward the wall. And then along the wall, because they wouldn't, I guess a meter, it was about a meter high. They're and that's trapped. high enough that, they, that their first inclination wouldn't be to jump over it. Yeah. So now they're going down this wall. And probably, if it's like other similar practices in the past, they run them toward this bog where they end up getting trapped or stuck in the water. And it's much easier to hunt. This is comparable or there are other similar practices in quotation marks where in the U.S. state of Montana... They used to, and all over, actually, the United States, uh, native peoples used to do this with bison, except they wouldn't have a one-kilometer-long wall. They would run them up to a cliff. cliff only had to be 30, 50 feet tall. They'd fall off, and they'd have people down there below waiting to finish them off. Yeah, back in the day before scopes and rifles? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah so that I, I thought was kind of interesting, an unusual find and just published. Um, last thing also connected to animals is news of Alaska pox which has made headlines uh, because somebody died of it. Hmm. And that's scary. Uh, what is less scary is if you read into it, there have been seven total cases of Alaska pox over the last nine years. And this recent fatality, this was an elderly man who in had, Alaska, in Alaska, mm -hmm. who had taken immunosuppressant drugs as a result of cancer treatment. He was he was very very weak, mm -hmm. and that is probably what ultimately led to his death in this case. Um, Alaska pox, like a lot of the other pox viruses that you've heard of in the past, chicken pox, monkey pox, which is now called M pox, um, smallpox. Lesions, bumps, red spots. If you are in Alaska and you come in contact uh, with with an animal that scratches or bites you, in this case, this elderly guy lived in a very very remote part of Alaska, and there was a stray cat that he was petting, and it's it was cat. and it scratched him, and the cat was feeding on all sorts of things in the forest, possibly voles, which there's there's a vole pox as well, there's a camel pox, there's a, a horse pox, all sorts of poxes, and that was probably the transmission route at this point. Only animal to human, zoonotic. It's not going human to and it's human. Only animal, not insect or anything like that. Uh, th this it would make the most sense at this point if it's animal to human transition, mm -hmm. and in his case, he uh, he waited a while to go in and get it checked out. If you happen to be in Alaska and an animal scratches you and then a lesion develops, go to the doctor's office. Otherwise, everyone listening to this is completely safe. And this is one of those viruses or outbreaks in quotation marks that you hear about. And at first, it sounds scary, mm. especially if you only see the word Alaska box. Mm. You're fine. No, the only reason I said insect was that we got a listener up in, uh, is he in Alaska, Mark? Where's he up in uh, Washington? No, he's in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I said one time that I really like Alaska, and then he sent me a picture of himself with his uh, mosquito gear on, Ooh, saying you yeah. might not like it as much as you think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this one does not appear to be mosquito-borne. In fact, I'm not even sure that would be possible. But yeah, that's the latest science news from us here. If you have any questions, comments, random thoughts, anything to say on stone walls, erections, Alaska pox, or memories and smells... Let, Let us, us know. Please. <laughs> SU at DW.com.